Bible reading this morning is from Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sari said. So after Abraham, Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sari, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sari said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sari mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road in Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sari, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sari, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahaya Roa. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 80 six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at that very time God had promised uh, God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the sons Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as the God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac 
was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Bev, for reading that so well. You, you might be excused for wondering why on earth I chose this passage for Mother's Day. Um, truth be told, I have spent a fair portion of this week wondering the very same thing. In fact, here is a text exchange with a friend of mine in Sydney, also a church pastor. He uses me as a bit of a brains trust when his ideas run dry. He messaged me on Wednesday and said, have a look, have we got it? He said, for some crazy reason, I decided over the summer to use Mother's Day as an evangelistic opportunity. Now I'm regretting all my life's decisions. Have you done, ever done anything on family stuff? I'm thinking of speaking on getting Jesus and family right from Mark 3, but that's about it. Any suggestions? Thanks, Jay. To which I replied, Alas, no, James, I'm in the same boat. What were we thinking? Worse, in my blindness and optimistic stupidity, for some insane reason, I thought it would be brilliant to schedule a sermon on a tale of two mothers on Hagar and Sarah. Mm. Disappointment, heartache, relational infidelity, abuse, abandonment. What was I thinking? To which James replied, so happy to go out in sympathy, let's make this party happen. And I said, rock it and try not to make them cry, literally. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> just a little insight into my wit. <laughs> what we have here are two intertwined stories of two mothers. Now this is extreme mothering. Under pressure and under prolonged stress. So I could 
pull apart the story with all its pain, but today I want to encourage you, right? So instead of going through scene by scene, as we'd normally do, this Mother's Day, all I want to do is simply give four applications applicable to mums, but also applicable to everyone who's been worried when things seem out of control and when circumstances have pushed your faith to the limit. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, you tell us that your grace is sufficient for us because your power is made perfect in weakness. And we confess, we, when we look at our lives, we feel weak. There are times when we feel so out of control. So Father, help us today to lean into you in faith and may you prove yourself to be sufficient. Please help us to understand this deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first point I want to say is basic, but we need to hear it, and that is that the God who loves us is the God who is also in control. God the Lord reveals himself in this story as El Shaddai, God Almighty, meaning the one who is totally in control. And the most common way that God is addressed in the story of Hagar and Sarah is as Adonai Yahweh, Sovereign Lord. In other words, the God who rules over everything at every point in time. So the God here, the God who shows himself in the Bible is not a God who's only partly in control or partly able. He's the God who is totally and utterly all-powerful and in control. There is nothing that happens outside of his will or his control. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now straight away this raises a question because we ask, if the Lord God is like that, why does bad stuff seem to happen to good people? Because if he cared, couldn't he do something about it? Now that is an issue which every parent and every mother who has ever felt helpless watching their kids suffer has felt, right? Now, the Bible has much to say in answer to that question. In fact, you might say the whole Bible is an answer to that question because you could see it in what in our current series in Revelation that speaks to this. You could see it in Job, you could see it in the prophets, you could see it in the Psalms, you could see it in the history books, or in fact, the Gospels. In fact, it's very hard to think of a book in the Bible which doesn't address this question in some way or other. Now, the answer that we see in the Bible to this is nuanced. It's complex, because the, the, the question really is complex. And the answer when you put together everything, is not comprehensive. We do not know why God causes every instance of personal difficulty to occur. But what we have is enough to know that the God who loves us is in it and he gives us grounds to trust him. And part of the answer, of course, comes in this story. The beauty of the stories of Hagar and Sarah is that in the mess and the complications of our lives, we see the dimensions of God's sovereignty being played out. What do I mean? I mean that what we see is that he is over their lives, 
He is in the detail of their lives and he's so sovereign that he works through their lives. Over, in, through. First of all, he's over them and their situation. The whole story for Sarah kicks off when out of the blue, God tells Sarah, Sarah's husband, who's probably a, a sun worshiper in Iraq, tells him, Abram, to up and leave their home country and to go to the land that God will show them. Now at this stage, Abram is 70 and Sarah is 60. They have no kids, but off they go. And then five or so years later in Haran, on the way, out of the blue, God promises to make Abram into a great nation and to bless them and get this, to bring blessing to all the nations of the world through him. We zoom out from him, and this is God's big plan to put right what is wrong with the world which sin has distorted. This is a God who is in control. Now eventually, after years of waiting, God does deliver on the promise. He does the impossible. Sarah has a son. He is sovereign, in other words, over them. But he's not just sovereign over them, he's sovereign in their lives, in the detail of what happens. So, for example, in poor Hagar's distress, when she's run away from Sarah, the Lord says to her, you will have a son. And then he gives the reason. Why? Because the Lord has heard your misery. You will have a son because the Lord has heard your misery. And as we read, when the boy was 14 and perishing in the wilderness, God worked in that situation. He caused Hagar's eyes to open to see a well, the well at Beersheba, which saved them. So God is in control. He is above us. He is working in us in the details of what happens. And also, he is so in control, he works through them. In the case of Sarah and Hagar, both these mothers are told of how God will impact other people through their sons. In Sarah's case, Abram is told Sarah will become the mother of many nations. Kings will come from you. So he works through Sarah and Isaac. In Hagar's case, God promises that he will make her son into a great nation. The Arab peoples, in fact. Now we ourselves, of course, don't know the specific plans that God has for us, or if we have children, our children. We don't know the impact on future generations that we ourselves may have. Have you ever thought about that? You will have an impact. God has a plan to bless other people through you, people yet unborn. But we're not privy to those details, are we? He hasn't laid them out for us. But here's the beauty of this story. He has laid it out here and we can see it. And that gives us a chance to see that God is the sovereign God, he's in control, He's over us, he works in us, he works through us. Now, does that mean that life will not be messy, nor difficult, nor filled with sometimes years of disappointment? It does not. But it does mean that what happens in the detail is not random, and it's not beyond God's ability to work through the mess to achieve good. God was and still is in control. And that, friends, means we can trust him. The God who loves us, who loves you, 
the God of the Bible, the God of Sarah and Hagar. He is in control. And we can not only trust him, more than that, we can entrust our children to him. I'm trying to do this more and more in my prayer life. When I feel helpless to say, I don't just trust you on this, I'm entrusting this person and their situation to you because I know that you have them. So point one, God is a God who's in control. Number two, God is a God who sees and hears. And wasn't it brilliant in the kids' talk how that came out? Sarah and Hagar both suffer particular distress. For Sarah, it's not just childlessness, because almost adding insult to injury, there's a promise for a son which takes decades to be fulfilled. Can you imagine? Hagar's situation is more acute. She is the victim of mistreatment and abuse twice, first causing her to run away and then being sent away, which almost costs the lives of herself and her son. And yet to both of these mothers, the Lord proves himself to be a God who sees and a God who hears. And it comes out in the names that each mother gives their son. In Sarah's case, when God finally tells Abraham that by this time next year, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac, which means have a laugh, a giggle. Now, that name, Isaac, funny, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Isaac. <laughs> uh, that name reminds Sarah that God is a God who sees and hears. So when she overhears the promise given to Abraham, she's listening in the tent. First, she laughs out loud. Now, I think this isn't just, ha ha, that's funny, or joyful. It's bitter. Ha! And God hears her and challenges her. And she says, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did laugh. God is a God who hears, you see. But it's also a reminder that God sees. He saw Sarah in her misery. So that when eventually she does have a son, Sarah laughs. And she laughs a different laugh to the first one. This time she laughs a laugh that's full of joy and delight. And she names him Isaac. That is, he laughs because she testifies, God has brought me laughter and who'd have ever thought that this could happen? The point is not just that God is the God of the impossible, but the God is the God of who sees, and God is the God who hears. In Hagar's case, God hears her sobbing, and he sees her tears. And when Hagar runs away, the Lord meets Hagar, and he tells her about her son, and tells her to name him Ishmael, which literally means God hears. 14 years later, as we heard in chapter 21, God hears Hagar sob. He hears the boy crying and he intervenes. Now, I just want to encourage you, if you have suffered heartache in being a mother, and every mother has suffered heartache, right? I want you to take encouragement in remembering who the Lord is. He is a God who sees. And he is a God who hears. That is, he is responsive. His response, yes, might take years. It did here, didn't it? It might take decades. 
He may answer your prayers beyond your lifetime. You might not be alive to see him answer the prayers in response to your heartache, your sobbing, your tears. But he is responsive, and that brings us to the third point. Number one, God is in control. Number two, the Lord is a God who sees and hears. So thirdly, be patient and wait on the Lord. This comes out especially in Sarah's story, whose use, I should say misuse of Hagar, is a negative example of the disaster that can come when we rely on ourselves instead of waiting on him. Sarah is 65 when God promises Abraham descendants. She was 60 when she was told to move, 65 when the promise comes. She's obviously beyond childbearing age. But God takes his time delivering on the promise. Decades, and so waiting, 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 wondering in frustration, when will it happen, that creates huge tension between Abraham and Sarah. After 10 years of waiting, the tension gets so great that Abraham and Sarah take the step of coming up with a Hagar option. And you can only imagine the difficulty of that conversation and the tension there. I mean, for a married couple to talk and then agree that the way forward was for Abraham to sort of take Hagar as another wife and then for him to do it and for them to live with that and then live with the fact that, yes, it worked, she, she got pregnant and, you know, Sarah didn't, but the promise was to, you know, you can just imagine. And we read the story and that step was a disaster. It was a disaster for everyone involved. I mean, it didn't play out well, okay? And in terms of God's plan, you know, that step didn't work. It wasn't the answer God had in mind. Ishmael wasn't the son to bring blessing to the nations. So Abraham and Sarah, instead of going with plan A, wait on the Lord, they tried to force things, humanly speaking, to happen via plan B, via human effort, which produced misery for everyone. Now, of course, we can sympathize with them, right? And you can easily imagine the frustration and the difficulty of Sarah in waiting. Now, we have our own issues and we wonder, what is God doing? What is God doing, if we have kids, what is God doing with our kids? What is God doing with our grandkids, if you had them? Why is he so slow at fixing things. Why aren't our kids instantly mature, wise, and sensible when they're four years old? And you know that we need to be patient, don't we? And wait on the Lord. You know, it was another 15 years of waiting before God came good on the promise and Isaac was born. 25 years in total. That's a long time to wait. And you and I might wonder why, if God is so good and loving, does God take so long to come good on his promises? Why do we have to wait so long? You know, the beauty of knowing Sarah and Abraham's story is that we know the reason. Having a baby at 65, that, when the promise was given, that would have been a miracle. But having a baby 
at 90, I mean, that is beyond even human tra you know, trajectory of our imagination, isn't it? You, don't, you wouldn't ever, ever, ever conceive this to be a possibility. Who would think of that? And yet, that amazement is what God intended us to have. Because Isaac, we know, was no ordinary baby. Isaac, not Ishmael, was to be the child of promise, that is the child of Abraham, whose line of descendants would eventually bring forth Jesus, the son of Abraham, who would do the miraculous and bring salvation to a sinful, godless world. He would die for the sins of the world. He would rise to bring blessing to the peoples of all nations who turn to him in faith. And there is a teaching point that we're meant to grasp in the extraordinary length of time that Abraham and Sarah had to wait for God to come good on his promise. What is the point? It is about the blessing of salvation. In making Abraham and Sarah wait so long to be beyond the point of this ever being humanly imaginable, God was making a powerful point. The blessing of salvation can only come from him. It cannot come from us. It can only come from him. From the author of life, the one who is all-powerful, the one who can do the impossible. It cannot be achieved by human effort. It cannot occur in our, our strength. We cannot do it. We can't force the bucket. We can't go plan B. There is no plan B. Salvation is by God's power and his might alone. It is by God's grace poured out to us alone. He alone achieves it. He alone brings it into our life. How do we receive it? Well, we can't earn it. We have to simply put our trust in what God has promised and has done for us now in Jesus, the son of Abraham. We need to do, in other words, what Abraham and Sarah had to do. We need to believe his word of promise. Now, Abraham did believe. This is how Paul put it in the respect of being a man who believed God's promise. Abraham, quoting from Romans 4, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and he became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, just imagine for a moment that Sarah had fallen pregnant at age 65 Perhaps the sort of age that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was. Okay. That would have still been a miracle. But by adding another 24 years, you can't escape that salvation is only found in God's power, not our own. Through Jesus, the greatest son of Abraham and Isaac. And that brings us to our last point. We need, as we wait, to keep coming to Jesus, the agent of God's blessing. Now, I hope you've realized that the story of these two mothers, Sarah and Hagar, is not just an example of how God is involved in the lives of two mothers uh, whose stories we happen to have. They, they are special stories. They are special for us, their lives, they're special for us, because their stories is 
part of God's story of how we will be blessed. I mean, they really did change the world. From Hagar comes today the Arab world. And interestingly today, Muslims trace their spiritual ancestry back to Abraham through Hagar. And when we see Hagar's story as Abraham and Sarah's attempted plan B in gaining God's promise, where plan A was to wait and to trust, that teaches us salvation, of course, doesn't come to us that way. It doesn't come to us through our own efforts. From Sarah, we see that God's strength, God's power for our salvation is all about the child, the child of promise who will eventually come from her, and that's Jesus. So it's absolutely imperative that each of us individually and personally, first of all, come to Jesus for our salvation. So when you find yourself wondering, you know, am I good enough for God? Will God, who knows everything and he knows the secrets of my heart and my life, will he accept me? What we need to do is to keep coming to Jesus. Because the beautiful news is that this child of promise lived the life for us that we haven't lived. So that being perfect, he could stand in for us. He could die the death we deserved to take all our punishment. So that when you trust in him, his life, his death counts for us. We are accepted on Jesus' merit, not our own. And we are forgiven because of Jesus' death for us. And that's all we need. So we need to keep coming to him when we doubt. And so come to him, come to him. And we think, yes, I have, but what about my other worries? Because they are substantial. And they are, aren't they? On Mother's Day, it's right to ask, what about your deep worries about your children, if you have them, or your grandchildren? or your nieces, or you know, your goddaughters, or you know, whoever they are. What about the daughters in this church that many here are mothers to in faith, and you worry about others? What about the concerns about things in your life outside of your family that constantly gnaw at your insides? The answer is to keep coming to Jesus with your concerns. Why? Because God is a God who sees. He's a God who hears. And Jesus is the child of promise. Yes, the one who brings salvation to the world, but also blessing to the world. So keep coming to Jesus with your concerns. The Apostle Paul said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, what if your children or your grandchildren aren't walking with the Lord? Would God be responsive to prayers for them? Well, there is particular encouragement from the story of Hagar. Because the astounding thing about Hagar's story is that even though her son was not the child of promise, God still responds to his mother's tears he still has a plan for him. He still makes provision for him. And I find that enormously encouraging that God responded to Hagar's prayers about her son. 
And surely that speaks to all mothers whose children or grandchildren are not walking with the Lord. He still hears your cries. He still sees your tears. And when you come to God through Jesus, those prayers are never wasted. So I hope that every single day, you're a person who leans into God in faith and prays and pours your heart out and pours your tears out to him. They are never wasted. Ishmael, you know, wasn't the child of promise. Now, we need to understand what that means. It means the Messiah would not come from him. But that does not mean he could not be saved, right? Because God's plan was to always bless all the nations through Abraham and his descendant. And so even though it wasn't Ishmael who was the agent of blessing, Ishmael and Hagar, as people whom God loved and cared for, they could still have put their trust in the God of Abraham and Isaac and been saved. God has concern for all those he's made and he is responsive to our prayers. Um, some of you, oh, you'll know that I, I didn't grow up in a Christian believing family. And yet by God's grace, um, all f- we, we didn't go to church, all four of, of, of the kids, myself and my three siblings, we are all strong believers who've married Christians who's got kids or Christians, right? Mum and dad wondered what went wrong. <laughs> and I, had, I once had the Archbishop of Sydney, Peter Jensen, say, how did that happen? And then he said, you know, I bet someone was praying for you, for your family. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who. One of the astounding things I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven is to be able to find out and see how God has used my prayers, but other people's prayers as well for me, and have answered them in ways that we didn't understand or just couldn't comprehend at the time. He is the God who has the big picture, which we do not see, because he's God, we're not, right? But nevertheless, God tells us enough. He tells us what we need to know, and today he has told us four things to encourage our hearts. Number one, he is in control. The God who loves you is in control, so trust him. Number two, He's the God who sees and the God who hears. So pour out your hearts to him. Number three, wait on the Lord. Be patient. He has a bigger time scale than we do. And number four, keep coming to Jesus, the one through whom God brings blessing. Okay? That is God's word to you today. Father, thank you that you are in control, you you see us, you hear us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you call us to wait on you. We confess that is so frustrating and difficult times because we have to live with the tension and the pain of not seeing things fulfilled that we would love to see. Our merciful God, We come to you through Jesus. We bring to you our concerns. We bring to you our worry. We bring to you our stress. Hear us because you are the God who hears. See, look, pay attention to the concerns of our hearts. 
And we bring them to you in the name of Jesus, who came to bring blessing to the world in fulfillment of a promise you made thousands of years before. Thank you. Hear us, we pray. Amen. Let us continue in prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Hagar and Sarah, even though it is confronting. Because we ourselves experience that family life is often very difficult and complicated. We are haunted by our own fears, failures, and hurts as mothers, as fathers, as children. Father, we praise you that in our fears, failures, and hurts, you are perfectly sovereign and you reach out to us in a care that never fails. You are the God who sees. Help us to turn to you in our times of trouble and heartache, knowing that your compassion is unending and your plans for us will not be thwarted. So fill us with courage and compassion as we live out our family relationships every day. Father, we thank you for our mothers and we commit them to you in the joys and challenges of being a mother. Strengthen them and give them peace and patience. And for those for whom today is a painful reminder of loss or unfulfilled dreams, please provide them with comfort and use us as a church to do so. Help us to love one another practically as family in Christ and so to help ease one another's pain and painful and lonely voids. And as we at Trinity Church Allgate also seek to minister to mothers and other caregivers at mainly music, please help us to do so with insight and grace. Thank you for, families that for the families that attend Mainly Music, some of whom do not know you. Use Mainly Music to draw them closer to you. Let it be a place where your love is inescapable. Sustain Catherine as she leads our team. Sovereign Lord, we also lift up those among us who are unwell, especially those who are coping with long-term illness. Father, strengthen them and their carers to persevere in hope and joy, turning to you in their weakness and pain. Lord, you never promised that we won't fa face illnesses, but you promised that your strength will be sufficient in our weakness. Thank you for that great mercy. You are the God who hears, the God who sees. And almighty God, as you also know our need for a second pastor at Trinity Church Orgate. In your good timing, please help us to find the right person at the right time for the right purpose. In your mercy, we ask for this to be sooner rather than later. And as we commit these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, in the words that he taught his disciples, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We'll be finishing our service shortly, so if the band would like to come up. Jesus' love for us is truly marvelous and wonderful. He took our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own. 
He took that burden, my sin and sorrow, your sin and sorrow, and he bore it on the cross, suffering and dying alone because of his love for us, so that we could know salvation, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be ransomed, we could be healed, we could be forgiven. It is truly amazing. Let's stand and sing together.
joining with us today. Hope you can come next week when we'll jump back into our series in Revelation, looking at chapter 14, where worship leads. Uh, don't forget there is a special Mother's Day morning tea served by our kids' church children and their leaders uh, happening after this, so please join in with that. Uh, as we go out, hear these words from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.